Good morning, Christ Church. It's good to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. We got, we got one Christian here this morning. <laughs> no, it's good to be with you. I missed you last Sunday. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Pretty awesome. Good. I was at our uh, Columbia Station campus, so it's good to be with our church family out there. But I always miss you. Uh, when I'm not here, but can we give Tina a round of applause? Bring in a great word. Super thankful for Tina. Give her a high five on the way out. Maybe doubles if you're really feeling it. Uh, <laughs> but today we're starting a brand new sermon series. And just before we get into it, let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. We're so grateful for all the ways that you love us, that you help us, that you seek us, that you pursue us. And Father, we know that our souls get off balance, our, our souls center on the wrong thing. So today, Father, help us just to take these moments together to slow down, to tune out, Lord, all the concerns and worries and fears and difficulties of life. And Lord, help us just to, in these moments, bless you and draw near to you and connect to you in deeper and more real ways. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you from Psalm 103. But as I was, uh, I was working on this um, sermon, I I've always thought of myself as having a bit of an addictive personality. I don't know if anyone, I don't know if that worries you or if anyone, uh, if anyone feels that way. But, you know, I I'm always kind of like... Uh, if one is good, five is better, you know? So we had a little early Christmas exchange uh, with Allie's family, and someone gave me those Reese Christmas trees. You know what I'm saying? They gave me a whole pack of it. And, uh, and one day I was like, I'm just going to have one of those after dinner. Well, one turned into the whole pack, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's just kind of, I wish I could say that was uh, not a normal occurrence for me, but... <laughs> But I, I just kind of wired that way a little bit. Uh, you know, if I like something, it's like I'm, I only got two speeds, full throttle or nothing. And I know that's not good, you know, but it's just kind of more my, my default. And recently, my, my buddy Louie, we, you know, kind of get together and read through books and, you know, learn and grow together. And he said, hey, we, we should go through this book called The Addictive Personality. I was like, are you trying to say something to me right now? <laughs> You saying something without saying something? Uh, but he's like, no, I uh, just heard it was good and helpful and stuff. So, so we started reading it together, and I was like, man, this is some really interesting, helpful things. And in the book, here's how they define the addictive personality. An addictive personality is created when we believe that looking outside of ourselves for happiness will bring us what we want and need. By that definition... We all might have that. What do you think? And, and, and ultimately, it says that, that when we're, we're looking for these external things in our life to, to fill us, to really, you know, shape our lives, that that, that that is the root of what ends up being broken in our life. And I was reading this, and I was like, this, is, this author, from my understanding, is not speaking from a Christian perspective, but I'm saying this is what the Scriptures tell us again and again and again. That, that when we seek things outside of God to really fill us at the deepest levels, that becomes the root 
of all the brokenness in our lives, all the things that end up hurting and hampering us and, and wreaking havoc, at the center is, I believe, looking outside of God. So I kind of tweaked that definition a little bit, and I said it this way. An empty soul is, when, is created when we believe that looking outside of the living God for happiness will bring us what we want and need. When, when we, and, and the way I want to talk about today is when we lose God as our center. See, I believe you are not some random biological being. You, you are not just the product of blind evolutionary forces. I believe you are far more than that. You are a soul created by a real God. And your soul can only function in the right way when you and I, when we're centered on God. And when we take that center out, our, our inner world is out of balance and it's out of whack and it creates all these dangerous and damaging ripple effects in our lives. And, and the way to actually become healthy is to recenter on God. So we're going to talk about that today and I want to look at Psalm 103 with you because I think this psalm is all about that. And here's what's cool about reading the Psalms. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, maybe you've read different parts, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is like taking someone's diary and reading it, which you're not supposed to do that. Um, you know, but, but, but in Psalms, we kind of get to do that with some of these great people of God from old. We, we get to see how they process life in their spirituality. And we're kind of, it's almost like if you're able to see inside someone's mind and to see how they go through disappointment, how they go through rejection, how they go through great times, and how that interlaces with their spirituality, how that all gets worked out, that's kind of what the Psalms are like. It's not just this, always this, you know, straightforward you know, theological teaching about God, but it's more of a case study. It's more of, of someone working out their relationship with God in a real way and real time. And I believe that's what Psalm 103 is. So this is the, the great ancient King David, and, and I believe that this psalm is him recentering his soul on God. So let me read it to you and we'll talk about it. He says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, if you have a copy of the scripture with you, you can underline that line. Forget not all his benefits. Another way, a less eloquent way to say that is just remember all his benefits. Remember all he's done for you. Remember all he's brought into your life, all the ways he's helped you. And then he begins to list them. He who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And this part is so rich. The Lord is merciful and gracious. If you've ever wondered what God is really like, 
at his core. These verses give us a great picture of what God is really like. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. Anybody got a quick temper here? You don't got to admit it. All right, yeah, me too. He's slow to anger. God's a little different than us. He's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Look at this. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That might not seem like a huge deal and a really powerful line to you, but I'm telling you, that line is gold for you and me today. He does not deal with us according to sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, the psalm goes on, and we we could read more, but for the sake of time, I'm going to stop us right there. I'll be honest with you, first service, I went a little long, okay? Got a little preachy, but, you know, we're going to try and rein it in here. No promises, though, so I hope you're comfortable. (laughs) Amen. But, but I believe that this, this uh, psalm, I believe, is David, he's recentering himself on God. Now, if you read the rest of the verses, you'll see kind of some of these themes continued, but then you'll see him end the way that he began, with it, this call to bless God. But now David's saying, not, not just my soul, he's saying, now I need some friends to be with me on this. Now I need to, to bring more and more people in on, on blessing God. And, and I believe what, what he is doing is he, he's putting his soul back into alignment. And I believe that David is showing us something that every one of us needs to do. Because whether we realize it or not, our soul, it's meant to be centered on God. But life in everything else knocks it off center. I think about, uh, remember, anybody remember the show American Gladiators? One of the, the high moments of television production, amen? These were an amazing show. And, uh, and I remember watching it as a kid, and I loved it. And if you remember, some of you, you're with me on this. Others, you, you can YouTube it later on. But, but there was this one event where they were on these platforms. They were raised up. They were these circles. And they would, they would joust a gladiator. They'd have to fight Blazer or Laser or Grazer or Rudolph or Vixen, whoever, you know. And... Uh, and and the whole idea was to knock the other person off. And so they'd have these sticks where they could hit them with either end. And, you know, these contestants are getting hit every which way. And they're, they're you know, moving this way and moving that way. And they're losing their balance. And, and oftentimes their balance would be so disrupted they would be knocked off the platform. And as I was thinking about this psalm, I was like, that's kind of a good picture for what it's like to try to live life as a person that's centered on God. There's all these forces hitting you high and hitting you low and hitting you from this side and hitting you from this side. And and there's this this unbalance, this imbalance that that comes into our soul where we're struggling with with doubt and fear and we're like, I I, want to serve God, but 
but yet, you know, there's all this stuff going on here, and, and we're, we're constantly pulled in all these different directions, and our soul lacks the center and the stability that it needs to be healthy. Now, let me explain this in a more sophisticated way outside of American Gladiators. <laughs> there, there's this uh, Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor, and he wrote this very prominent book called A Secular Age. And in this book, he, he talks about how in the year 1500, everyone believed in God. It was just, it wasn't even really up for question or debate. But by the year 2000, 500 years later, that today it can be hard to believe in God. Even if you believe in God, you might really struggle with real doubt at times. And he says, why did that happen? How did that happen? What are the forces behind it? Now, a very superficial answer that, that sometimes, you know, people might go to is they say, well, there's been all these advances in science, and now everything that we used to use God to explain, science can now explain. And so that's kind of what's called a subtraction theory. But Charles Harris says, no, that is not what has happened at all. And he writes 900 pages about what has happened. And we're going to start at page one. And get, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm not going to explain it all to you. But... but but here, here's what he ultimately says. He says, but in our culture today, if you, you are a human soul today, he says, you live in cross pressure. That, that, that there, there's forces that are constantly pulling your soul in two different directions. He says, ultimately, that, that we, we want God and we don't want God. We, we, you know, we want to live, we can't live with him and we can't live without him. And he says that that's the reality of our soul. And, and maybe many of us today, we, we can identify with that. That, man, there, there, there's part of us um, that is drawn to God, that is committed to God, and then there's part of us that, that wrestles with all of that. And you're like, is there something wrong with me? Is my faith totally weak? And no, this is just the nature of the world that we live in, church. And here's what I would say. I don't think this is a new problem. I think this has always been the problem. I think human beings, since God created them, we've wrestled with honoring God and putting them in the proper place. And life, and sometimes it's not life, sometimes it's our own hearts, it's our own minds, and they throw us off balance and they throw us out of whack. And here's what also happens, church. Sometimes, because we get confused, because we get pressured in all these ways, we start to try to find a center other than God. And that's where it really begins to break us down from the inside out. When we start to look for something other than God to direct, to satisfy, and to fulfill the human soul. I was, I was talking to my neighbor recently and uh, him and his wife are um, having, a, a, well, they just had a, a new baby, first, you know, new baby. So we were talking baby stuff and all this. And, and they're actually uh, new to the United States. The United States, they're from Northern Africa. And I, and I was talking to him, I was like, oh, man, congratulations, you know, before they had the baby. And I said, what are you going to name your son? It was, it was a baby boy. And he said, uh, he said Elon. And it kind of took me back for a second. Um, and I was like, like Elon Musk? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're naming your kid after Elon Musk? 
yeah. Like, wow, that's really interesting, you know? But, but then I kind of, it kind of like stuck with me, you know? It just wasn't what I was expecting. But, but I thought, I was like, I wonder what in our culture do we glorify work so much that it kind of makes sense at a certain level to, to name our kid. You know, what you, what you celebrate is what you really value in life, right? And it, and it kind of made me think, I think one of the great things that we try to center our lives on in our culture can be work. And we, we, we celebrate and we look for it to fill us in all these different ways, right? When you meet someone, have you ever noticed kind of after you say your name, the second question is, what do you do? Why do we ask that? Well, because it's such a big thing to us, right? And if I tell someone, well, this is what I do, you know, I'm a pastor, I usually try to delay that as long as possible because they tend to get weirded out. They're like, I'm sorry that I swore. I'm like, it's cool. Trust me. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you can, it's all good. A human being too. Don't glow in the dark. Um, And uh, anyway, but you know, (laughs) so I try to avoid that for as long as I can, um, but, you know, it, it, it comes up very, fairly frequently. But really, our, our work, that, that is not a sum of who you are, right? That, that's not in the top three of who you are, you know? I think when I'm in a healthy place, the top part of my identity, the most significant thing about who I am, is that I am a son of the living God. That's number one. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That, that's the most significant thing. You can know about me. Probably number two, I'm Allie's husband. You know? <laughs> number, number three, I'm Emmy and Abby and Teddy's dad. You know? Number four, I'm a decent pickleball player. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> number five, I'm a recovering Browns fan. You know, still, still trying here. And then maybe number six, I'm a pastor. You know? I don't know, you make up your own list. My, my point is, though, that, that what we put at the top of our identity is our center. Here's the problem, church. You and I, all of us as human beings, we're tempted to put things at the top of that list that should not be there. Can they be on the list? Absolutely, of course. But they need to be in the proper order. Our connection to God, God's got to be one. Who, who I am Everything about my life, it's got to start with him, not this other stuff. Stephen Covey, the great author, he says that all of us, whether we realize it or not, we have a center that we're living from. And from that center, it brings our life four things. It brings power, wisdom, guidance, and security. That, That our center, whether we're consciously or unconsciously, it's bringing those things into our life. It brings security. That's the idea of identity. My worth. You're worth more than your job. You're worth more than what you do. You're, you're worth more than, than your bank account, than your possessions, and all these things that, that we put too high on the list, right? Your, your security, it's built on something different. Guidance. What directs our life? Well, if it's, if it's something other than God then it's going to probably direct our life in a way that's different than God might have for us. Power, wisdom, all those things. Those things come from our center. Our center needs to be God, but it's hard to keep them at the center. 
And when, when he moves from the center, then there is a different center. But here's the problem. It can't hold you. It, it, it will collapse at some level. It's not strong enough to bear the weight of your soul. Only God is. You with me on this, church? And, and so our center is everything. And here's what I believe is happening in this psalm. David is re-centering himself. David is, is bringing himself back to his center. And every one of us need to do that. Every one of us are, are going to go through life and we're going to get knocked off base. We're going to get knocked off balance. We're, we're going to, you know, go in the pursuit of putting the wrong thing at the center. And every one of us need to learn with God's help to come back to the only center that can hold. And that is the living God. And notice how he does it. How this psalm begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Now, I think David is doing something so profound here. There's this great Welsh preacher that died a long time ago, but his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said that so many problems in our life are because we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. Does anyone think that's profound? The 930 did. <laughs> Have you ever noticed, here, here's what can be hard to accept and believe. Our minds, right? Tina, Tina taught about this last week. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the flesh is death. And Paul says, guess what? It's your choice. Guess what? God has given you the responsibility to choose what we feed and what we focus on and ultimately what, what our center is. And I know in our minds, it's, it's so easy to just see our, our thoughts and our feelings and everything that's going on in here. And you're like, it's a runaway train. Here's the hard truth, though. You're the conductor. Choo-choo. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. You're, 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 you and I are in charge. And, and, this is, and when you realize that, then we stop listening to ourselves and we learn to talk to ourselves. Here's, what David, here's how I picture it. David's kind of grabbing his, his uh, soul by its shoulders and he's shaking it a little bit. He's saying, hey, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And his soul's like, I don't want to. He's like, I'm not asking. I don't care. You're going to get up off the ground and you're going to start blessing and honoring God and you're going to start coming back to the center. And his soul's like, but, but I don't want to go back to the center. I like it over here on the edge. And I'm kind of changing. And David's like, no, bless the Lord. He's talking to himself. It's a spiritual discipline. And, and we have to learn how to do that in our own hearts, in our own minds. And oftentimes it takes repeated attempts to get the message through. Have you ever noticed that when you talk to someone and you tell them something important once, that's not usually enough? Come on, married people. You know you got to hit the thousands before, <laughs> before your husband hears, what? You know, it, 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 takes, it takes maybe a, a few goes at it. There's a, a powerful scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting. And if, you, if you've seen it, at the end of it, it's about this young man who has experienced a lot of trauma and abuse, you know, wrongly, 
but he kind of blames himself for all of it. And it's messing up his life. And he's meeting with a therapist, and, and kind of at the end, I'm going to spoil it a little bit for you, but at the end, the therapist, he just says to him, it's not your fault. And at first, he brushes it off, but he just keeps saying it. It's not your fault. And then he kind of, and, and you can see it's like starting to, it's starting to get in there. And then finally, you can tell he receives it. And he breaks down, and it's like this, this moment of transformation. And in some ways, I, I see that is what David is doing. He, he's just trying to repeatedly go after his soul and break through the walls and break through the resistance and break through all the barriers that, that are keeping him off center. And he's saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I don't care if you feel like it, bless the Lord. I, I don't care uh, where, where you're at right now, bless the Lord. And he's calling him back to center. And church, I think that is one of the most important things we need to learn to do. And then he goes at it systematically. He says, and forget not all his benefits. Now, there is this interesting theme in Scripture, and we don't have time to get into all of it. But if you look at all different portions of the Old Testament and New Testament, you will see that the apostles and prophets always warn God's people about forgetting about him. We forget. Have you, have you ever had God work in your life powerfully? And like he answered a prayer and you knew it and, and you were so grateful and you were so awed by it. And then six months later, you were in a similar spot and it was like that all never happened. And you went into that spot with, with fear and trepidation, even though you had been there before and you had seen God, but what happened? You, you forgot. You, you lost sight. It, it, it's spiritually dangerous. And so David says, he says, bless the Lord and don't you forget what he has done. Because church, we are forgetful creatures. And I'm not just talking about, yeah, we forget errands here and there and we forget to pick this up from the store, and we forget to do that, but you know that we spiritually forget. We forget the reality and the goodness and the power and the presence of God in our lives. And so David says we have to remember him in at least five powerful ways. There's probably more you could pull from this text, but I'm going to run with five. Number one, he says, forget not his benefits. He who forgives all your sins. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you can never forget that all the ugliness of our past, of our present, and of our future is completely forgiven as a gift from the living God through the sacrifice of his son. We can't forget that. That when we today, if you're a follower of Christ and, and you come before God, you come in total and absolute love and acceptance. It's not like, you know, when, when someone's coming over your house and you weren't expecting, you're like, oh man, uh, you're running around to try and clean it all up. You know, you're putting all this stuff away that you don't want people to see. You're like, I don't want them to think I'm a slob, you know? And you're kind of doing all that. And you're in a mad dash. And many times we, we, we think that, man, if, if I'm going to go into the presence of God, then I've got to clean everything up. I've got to get it in order if God's going to help me and love me. But no, church, that's not how it works. 
He forgives you and me freely today as a gift. And you can't forget that. You can't lose sight of it. We we can't forget it and then start thinking it's like, well, uh, that's because I got my act all together. No, it's not. He forgave you long before that. And guess what? It's not as together as you think anyway, right? (laughs) He, He forgives us all our iniquity. Man, sometimes you're carrying heavy stuff. Maybe some of us, man, it was a bad week. Maybe we were an idiot. No, let's not raise hands. <laughs> we, you know, we, but guess what? You know what? You need to remind your soul, there's forgiveness for me here today. Not just for 10 years ago, for 10 minutes ago. Now, that's not something we're trying to take advantage of, but some, we got to live in the power of it. We need to remember, we need to walk through, this light, walk through this life lightly with the help of Jesus Christ. David says, don't forget that. Second, he says he heals all our diseases. Now, I think he is talking more about the diseases of the soul. Because I think that's what this psalm is really about, our soul. Now, the diseases of the body are no joke and they're serious. But I will tell you, the diseases of your soul are even more dangerous. The disease of pride and jealousy and hate and unforgiveness and all those things, the list could go on, church. Those are the real diseases that we need to concern ourselves most with. Here's what David says God heals those. Some of us today, we are a radically different person than we were 10 years ago. The 10 years ago version of ourselves, no one in this room would recognize. Why? Because God has healed our diseases. It wasn't that we got it all figured out and the light bulbs went off and we kind of cleaned. No, it was the grace of God. And we can't forget that, church. Some of us today, 10 years from now, we're not going to be able to recognize who we are today because God's healing power is at work in you and me. And it's a beautiful thing. We can't forget it. He redeems our life from the pit. I love this one. Psalm 40 has always been a very meaningful psalm to me. And in that psalm, David, the author, he talks about being in a pit, but he he kind of expands it a little bit more. He talks about it being like this miry bog. And I always like picture things in my mind. So I see this like, you know, kind of quick sandy hole that you're in and really hard to move around and and get your feet out. And, And in that psalm, David says that, I was in this pit, I was in this miry bog, I prayed, God heard me, he took me out of it, and set my feet on solid ground. And I think about the difference of being in like this quicksand hole, this muddy hole that's hard to move, and to to being on just some like newly paved, you know, pavement, whatever you call it, (laughs) concrete, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, solid ground, we'll go with that one. And then he says, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. He changed the tune of my heart. You know when the tune of your heart is just all darkness and sorrow and and you're just struggling? And you know how refreshing it is when that tune changes and you're encouraged and you're strengthened? And David said, God, God did that. Now, in my life, I feel like I have experienced that psalm again and again and again. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I dug the pit and I jumped in. Sometimes I was like, you know, digging it out. I filled it with some nasty, murky water. 
you know, I stirred it all up and then I jumped in and then I was like, this pit is horrible, God. Can you get me out of it? And God, how did I get here? And God's like, you jumped in, you made it, you dug it. But I'll still help you. And he does. And even though he should be like, ah, you know, I would be like, no, dude, you're staying in there for a while. Uh, so you learned your lesson. But God is gracious. He's not like us. And, and he's brought me out. Now, sometimes I've fallen into a pit. I didn't create it. It, it was life. It, it was ugly. It was difficult. Either way, though, God has always helped me. E- either way, God, God has always met me in those places, whether it was by my hand or by someone else's or just by the difficulty of life. And, and he has helped. And church, I can't forget that neither can you. And today, maybe you're in a pit, but you've been there before, and you prayed, and you knew it wasn't coincidence. You knew it wasn't just the stars aligned. You knew it was the hand of the God that loves you. And you're in that pit today, and, and you need to be strengthened by that. You need to be encouraged by that. You need your, your faith to be charged by that. We, we can't forget those times that God comes through for us again and again and again. He says, and then he crowns our, our head with mercy and loving kindness. What is God's agenda in your life? When I was younger, I used to thought if I follow God, I'm like, I'm giving up all the, the fun and the joy in life, you know? And I've got to go into like some sense of monastic duty. It didn't sound all that appealing to me. Here's what I've actually found. (laughs) Following God is the deepest path to joy. Everything else is a liar. Yep, everything else is misleading. Everything else is just good marketing. Over promises and under delivers. But I fall for it. But it doesn't, doesn't come through. He crowns us with mercy and loving kindness. He satisfies us with good. Church, you, you can look for all different centers in your life. Nothing will bring the soul satisfaction of the presence of God. Church, you, you can look everywhere. You can test all those waters. I'm just telling you, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. If you follow God, if you just you know, plant a stake in the ground and saying, you know what? I don't have to know everything that's coming. Here's what I know. I'm following the one who created me. I'm following the one who died and rose again for me. And I'm trusting that he's going to take me to a place that I need and want to be. And he will. He will satisfy the depth of your soul and my soul in a way no one else can. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that. The times of greatest peace of greatest well-being, of greatest joy in my life, I've realized, are not connected to circumstances. Some of us have convinced ourselves that we can only be happy if life is going the way we want it. And so far, we've never been happy. Because life doesn't go the way we always want it. And it never will. I'm sorry if that discourages you. Your happiness is not meant to be built on the circumstances of your life. It's built on your relationship with God. Joy is a fruit of God's spirit. It is is an outcome 
of being centered on God. And it is one of the most liberating things that we can experience when we realize things can be really tough, but my soul can be okay. My soul can even have a sense of joy in the midst of pain and difficulty. They, they can, joy can exist in difficult circumstances, not because of me, but because of my connection to God. You with me on this, church? It is liberating. It is powerful. It is life-changing. And David says, we can't forget it. And then one last thing I have to talk about. I call it the, the pole of God. He says, he does not treat us according to our sins. This is so profound to me. Kind of all my adult life, I've tried to read and understand the teachings and the way of Jesus and, and been committed to them. Like, I, I want to follow them. I don't, I fail a lot, I mess up, but I'm like, hey, I want to, that's always been my aspiration. And one thing that I think every Christian in the world would agree on, there's a lot of things we don't agree on, but I think one thing we would all agree on is that Jesus calls us to forget. Like, there, there's some parts of the scriptures, like, what's it saying? It's a little ambiguous, but there's no ambiguity in Jesus' call on us, if we're his followers, to forgive when we're wrong, when people hurt us. I know that. I've read books about it. I've preached sermons on it. But yet, every time I'm faced with a moment where I have to do it, I struggle with it. And maybe I'm exceptionally broken here today. Maybe it's just me. I hope not. I'd feel better if it wasn't. But I, I know it. I believe it. But when I, when I face those moments and I'm wrong or I'm hurt, I don't want to forgive. I want to retaliate. Or I, I just want to hold on to it. And, and, but, but yet, and see, here's what I think why this is so important. It's hard for us to really believe and practice forgiveness. We just don't work that way naturally. It's hard. And because it's hard for us to practice it, I think it's hard for us to believe that that's actually how God relates to us. I think because it's so hard for us in our daily life, in our interactions with others, I think it's hard for your soul to really believe that God doesn't repay you according to your sin. That God isn't, he isn't looking at your week and saying, Monday was a pretty good day. What happened Tuesday? Wednesday? We're not even going to talk about this. This is irredeemable. Uh, you got a C for the week, so here's a C-level blessing for your life. It's just going to be okay. Not great. And then the next week you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do so much better. Uh, and then, then God's like, oh, it was an A-plus week. Here's an A-plus blessing. And then the next week, it was an F. Here's a, it, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't treat us according to us. This is what the psalmist is telling us. What does he treat us to, according to? Not your behavior, not my behavior, not our sin, what does he treat us according to? Here's what he says. According to his character. What is his character? Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love. Think about that for a minute. What, what will God treat you according to? What does that look like? Number one, it looks gracious. As you connect to God, here's what you'll find. He will treat you, gracious means, better than you deserve. According to my sin, it's what I deserve. No, God doesn't treat me that way. He treats me better than I deserve. Merciful. It means God has every right to bring the hammer down on you, but he won't. Because he's merciful. He says, no, I'm going to pour more grace. I'm going to pour more love. I'm going to be patient with them. He's, he's merciful. He's slow to anger. I know no one in here has a quick temper. But some people in the world do. And, and, and we know what it's like to be around those. And we know what it's like maybe in our own life about how quick we can get fired up, about how quick anger can surge in us and come out at those around us. Here's the beauty about God. He's slow to anger. He's really, 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 really patient with you. If I were God, I would have gave up on me a long, long, long time ago. Anyone else? I, I get sick of myself. Like, That's right. God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. That's how he treats you, with this incredible patience. And then he is abounding in steadfast love. He's consistent. You know what you will consistently find from God? Love. Steadfast, abundant, gracious, merciful, patient love. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done for you and me. See, all we, we don't deserve any of that from God. Christ deserved it all. But guess what? Christ got what we deserve, and he gives us what he actually deserves. This is why we call the message of Christianity good news. You and I, we get what Christ should have got on the cross. Christ got what we should get. You with me? And this is why God is so good and so worthy of our worship today. This, As we understand him more in the reality of who he is, I think it pulls our soul more towards blessing him. Now, I think today that many things in life are paradoxical, right? Sometimes when life gets really, really busy, instead of speeding up, you need to slow down. That sometimes in life, to actually get the freedom that you want, you need to put yourself in a more disciplined way of life, right? It's paradoxical. Uh, and, and I think in some ways this psalm is paradoxical. Some of us might be coming in here today, and we, if we're honest, we might be a little disappointed in God. Maybe we, we feel like there, there's something missing from our life that God should bring us or should have brought. Maybe some of us, we're coming in and just our hearts are, man, we're worn out. It's been a season. It's been a minute. And there's coldness between us and God. And we don't feel like blessing him. We don't feel like it. Here's the paradox. The times when you realize you don't want to bless God are the times you most need to bless God. That's how your soul gets recentered. 
when you discipline it, when you command it, you say, soul, I know you're not feeling it. I know you've been in these weird places. I know you've been struggling. You've been getting hit from every angle. You're off balance. But you need to come back to center. I don't care if you feel like it. I don't care if it, if it feels natural. Or you, need to, you need to just do it. You need to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. Number one, he deserves it. Number two, you need it. Your soul needs brought back to that healthy place. And so today I get it. You might not, blessing God might not feel like what you want to do today. But I'm telling you, it's what you need to do. You might, you might be struggling to, to, to see the worth and the beauty of God today. It might all feel hazy. But you know, whether you see it or not, I want you to give him honor and praise and glory. Today, here's what I'm asking you. We're going to sing this last song together. And, and while we're doing it, I want you to take a moment in the authentic, real place of your soul and bless God. Bless him. Just say, God, maybe you just go through that list. Remember those times where you prayed and he heard and he answered and he helped. Maybe think about where you were all that time ago and how much God has worked in your life. And bless him. Give him thanks. Maybe think about all the things that, that you don't have to carry today because you're forgiven fully and freely. And bless the Lord. Whatever it looks like for you to do it, I want to just invite you to do it. And let's end today by blessing God, by giving him thanks and honor and glory and by helping our souls move back to center. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we do acknowledge that our souls get off center. We acknowledge, Lord, that sometimes we, we go to those empty cisterns that hold no water, even though we can always go to the eternal fountain of life. And Father, we are sorry. We repent for that. We ask for your help. Today, Lord, I pray we could go to that fountain of living water. We could recenter. I pray, Lord, whether we, we feel it or not, whether it's a good season or a bad season, I, I pray just all of that would be put to the side right now, and we could just, with David, we could join him, and we could say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Bless, and we could say it, and we could think on it, and we could preach it to ourselves until it takes root. Until we start to feel it. We could act ourselves into a better center. Help us, Father. Grant us grace. Meet us in this. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Church.